We need to open up more capital, traditional energy finance, and what is in front of Congress right now and potentially in this uh, infrastructure bill is what we call direct pay. So that would be instead projects would would qualify for the tax credits themselves as they as they do today, but then they would have the ability to just directly you know take advantage of the credits versus like a third party investor. So that's, I think that would help to accelerate more projects and help achieve goals that the Biden administration is looking to do. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. The solar industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I'm your host, Fred Davis. Episode 51 coming at you right now. And of course, we're excited about today's guest. We've got none other than Mr. Mark Goodwin, President and CEO of Apex Clean Energy, joining us on the program, talking about the evolution of Apex Clean Energy. But before we get to that, let's welcome to the program Mr. Mike Niemer, founder and CEO of eRenewable. Hi, Mike Niemer here. President and CEO of eRenewable. At eRenewable, we bring technology to the sustainability space by hosting real-time online auctions for both PPAs and VPPAs. Our electronic management tool helps streamline the RP process, whether you are a buyer or a seller of wind, solar, or battery storage, our platform will provide pricing efficiencies to your organization. Additionally, we help customers with microgrid or battery storage development, renewable natural gas by turning waste energy, LED lighting and HVAC efficiency upgrades, unbundled RECs, and provide energy advisory services to our customers. Please visit our website at eRenew.net or call us at 1-866-ERENEW1. As always, Thank you for listening to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Mike Niemer. As always, check us out over at eRenew.net and give us a follow over at LinkedIn. That's eRenewable and The Green Insider Podcast for all the latest and greatest updates from the company as well as new podcast episodes. You certainly do not want to miss that. All right, let's get down to business now with Mr. Mark Goodwin, CEO of Apex Clean Energy. Among other things, he'll be discussing the improved transactional capabilities that need to take place in the renewable space, getting to net zero, what him and his team had to do to to survive the pandemic, as well as the continued evolution of Apex Clean Energy. So without further ado, please welcome to the program, Mr. Mark Goodwin. We were founded in 2009 as Apex Wind Energy, and we are dedicated wholly to accelerating the shift to clean energy. Uh, we started off just doing utility scale wind, but now we're doing utility solar. We're doing distributed community solar. We're doing battery storage and green hydrogen and green fuels. Um, so a broad spectrum of renewable energy projects. I have been in the renewable sector for 20 years, and I started uh, with a wind turbine manufacturer uh, from Denmark working for their U.S. sales subsidiary called NEG Micon. And we were, you know, in the kind of, I would say, adolescent phase of the wind industry. We were we were selling into projects around the country. And um, that's how I got into this into the sector. And then I moved from selling wind turbines to, to the owner-operator side of the business and the developer side of the business with a company 
that's now called EDPR. Uh, when I joined, they were Zilka Renewable, founded by uh, the Zilka family and Michael Skelly. Was with them when they were acquired by Goldman Sachs and then subsequently changed their name and sold to, to EDP. You know, broad experience on the development side of the business, the execution, procurement, uh, construction, finance, and operating side of uh, both uh, wind and solar. From a CEO's perspective and everything that you've been involved in, how difficult was it to, you know, when you're leading a group as large as Apex, kind of leading that group, keeping everybody calm, kind of, you know, trying to wade through that, but at the same time also working through maybe the greatest renewable boon that we've ever seen at the same time. So on one hand, you're trying to keep the, the keep the troops calm and, and wade through this pandemic, but you're also trying to grow a business at the same time. Uh, yeah, it was pretty scary when it first came out. The, you know, we experienced a lot of different delays like uh, many other businesses in different sectors of the economy. So we weren't different from that perspective. Uh, we also had, you know, a downtick in some of the drivers for the business, the slowing of the economy and the access to capital was also a, 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 a question mark. Uh, so we've been managing through that. I think that, um, you know, part of what we do was, you know, we, we were had to change how we say, for instance, built a wind project to take in mind the precautions around COVID, uh, how you operate, how you develop a project where, you know, you, typically we would have um, a land agent um, like knocking on doors and and our developers would be meeting with local um policymakers in person. And so all those components of our work needed to evolve during the pandemic. But, uh, you know, in some respects, um, you know, when you're building large wind and solar projects outdoors and people are operating cranes and pouring concrete and, and building solar arrays, it is um, an activity where you can manage around social distancing. So we, we did have some like project by project delays that impacted and I felt like the you know the government reacted well and helped us out um, in those uh, instances you know we were we were definitely impacted through through the pandemic but I think come we've come out reasonably well on the other side how have things changed from a renewable side where we're at right now in 2021 when you've got an administration that has made clean energy such a priority? One of the ways that I look at it is um, I think that the, the Biden administration goals on, on transition of, of the grid generated electricity go uh, get to zero, 100% uh, clean energy by 2035 is achievable. Uh, and if, you know, if you're focused on that part of the economy, the utility sector, the solutions are you know, wind and solar, you know, distributed energy, geothermal, nuclear, and the, the, the solutions are there. Uh, so the difference is like, it, it, you know, it, it couldn't be a, a, a more uh, like kind of different set of challenges that we're looking at back, you know, 20 years ago when we were building like, you know, the first, some of these first large wind projects, um, we were just such an insignificant part of the, the generating grid. And now we have to think about how uh, can we reliably operate the grid with, with huge 
penetration of, of clean electricity. Uh, and, uh, and so that's like, you know, we need to do this um, for, uh, to, to, to mitigate climate change. And the way that uh, we engage with policymakers is like, look, this is like, this is an achievable goal. Um, but, um, you know, these are some of the, the, the big things that need to happen. It's, it's like um, uh, renewable energy standards, it's transmission policy, it is, it is uh, interregional planning. Um, so there's so many tools that are available to us to achieve it. Um, and I think right now it's like executing, not just from at a project level, a regional level and a federal and a state policy level, um, but it's, it's, it's stepping into the shoes that people expect us to. You know, Mark, when you talk about uh, the different ISOs, what ISOs or states do you as Apex, do you guys like to operate in? Do you have a, an area that you have a larger focus than others or do you cover coast to coast? Uh, we're a national company. We, you know, our heritage, as I stated, was on the wind side of the business. And our first successful projects and like many of our early projects were in, in Oklahoma, in SPP, in ERCOT. Uh, and, you know, I think that those are, those are great markets because you can achieve scale uh, there's terrific resource there, but um, like uh, any business, diversification is key. And uh, and we, uh, after our early success in in SPP and ERCOT, we knew that we needed to expand into MISO into the Upper Midwest. Um, and that the timing of our expansion into MISO correlated with like it getting harder to advance into the interconnection queue in MISO from a cost uh, perspective. And we, are, you know, we were growing as a company and had a better balance sheet, so we were, um, you know, positioned to be able to navigate in some of those tougher markets. And and so now today we're we're very active in PJM in MISO in ERCOT, in SPP, we're expanding into South MISO, and we're, we have some projects in WEC, but we're, we're expanding into, into WEC as well. And part of it is there's, you know, mostly no imbalanced market or like merchant, you know, ability in WEC. And so it's, it's difficult to develop a project without knowing what the, you know, the, the, the you know, the power purchasing story is going to be long-term. Uh, but we think that that is becoming clearer and there's opportunities in WEC and on federal land. So we're, we're ramping up out, out west as well. Is enough being done with transmission? Because we can put all the wind, we can do all the solar and, and hell, you can do all the green hydrogen. But is the transmission technology there and is there enough, is, is there enough capability? I think the technology there is there. It's just the ability to permit site and finance transmission is 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 one of the hardest things in our business. So it it takes it's it's like it's like developing an offshore wind farm. It takes years. It's it's capital intensive. It's like expensive to develop those sites. It's it is hard to get like you know the multiple approvals for transmission lines. So it is 
Um, it is key uh, for us to be able to, to achieve the high penetration that I talked about earlier for transmission to come along, but there's plenty of new technology, you know, high voltage DC technology. There's technology for underground uh, transmission, which is also expensive, but is sometimes a, a key for siting in certain areas where it's, it's harder for you to have the above ground high voltage um, transmission. So I wouldn't say that the technology is like an impediment. It's, it's really the federal state RTO um, region, inter-regional planning that stops it, that, that makes it harder to do transmission, but we're, you know, we work, we're working on our own, uh, on some of our own private transmission plays, which involve large, you know, renewables, um, you know, trying to get from one underserved, from one like high resource region to a high demand region. And I, I think that's going to be, hopefully there's people on crack the code on like building more and more transmission because, you know, the, the, the wind blows in places where, you know, there's not as much, you know, renewable energy demand and the sun shines where some typically in places where there's not as much renewable energy demand. So transmission is a key to unlocking that. What's that transition like when you go from, you know, being a predominant wind company and then obviously as the new technologies come out, you start adapting to those. How do you make those adaptations? And is it just a matter of just, you know, uh, recruiting the best and the brightest? Or is it something that, you know, you already you got a team and staff that, you know, you guys are already looking to see where those uh, next changes are going to happen? For us, it is a natural evolution of our business. You know, one of our core capabilities is to de-risk technology to serve various types of customers, whether it's a, um, you know, it's an investor customer or a power purchase customer, you know, any type of, uh, you know, policy um, that we're satisfying. So we can de-risk technology and arrange project finance for projects that have, um, you know, uh, you know, low risk returns. And hydrogen, green hydrogen and green fuels is, is really an extension of that. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, the, we, I think long-term the, the hydrogen and green ammonia is going to be sourced via, you know, electrolysis and it's going to be powered by wind and solar uh, and offshore wind. Um, so, at the at the at the base of, of a green hydrogen green fuels um, industry, you need the wind and solar to to like uh, produce the green hydrogen and green ammonia. Um, so the next step is deciding, you know, what is the most cost effective place to site your electrolyzer, um, and who are your customers that are are going to um, be consumers of green hydrogen, consumers of green ammonia. Um, and so we're working on all those things. We're working on, on talking to customers about what they need. Uh, we're working on with partners. You know, we've, we've uh, publicly announced our plug power cooperation agreement. So they have electrolyzer technology. They're uh, also a hydrogen consumer. So we're working with them to figure out a way to, to have a electrolyzer facility that produces green hydrogen get built in conjunction with a large 
a wind or solar facility that is supplying the green electricity. So for us, uh, you know, it is that the electrolyzer technology itself is, is an extension, it's similar to, you know, uh, a solar farm or um, battery storage or a wind farm in that it's a technology that needs to, to be financeable for long-term contracts. And then after that, you need to just have the technical expertise, procurement capability and development ability to find those locations that make sense. So it's, you know, it's right up the alley of a lot of, a lot of different players in the U.S. renewable sector. Where are we at on that? And what's kind of, what's Apex? Have they, have y'all done anything to try to not necessarily influence, but offer any kind of consultation or direction as to how there can be a more uniform or standard way of scoring and rating folks that are using clean energy and how to dovetail that with ESG? There, there is a, a fairly um, a robust buyers um, association, green, green corporate buyers association um, that we're involved with, but like a lot of the who's who and the you know Fortune 500 are are members of that. I agree. It, it's it's still um, you know early stages of like having a standard way for companies to really objectively compare how they're doing versus how they did in the past and how they do versus other companies in the sector. And what we rely on today is that the public goals and, and those for like annual reports of, of like a lot of the kind of the, the leading companies that are public about their goals. So, um, and so there's, we're still actually just scratching the surface on the demand that's going to be coming around from corporate uh, entities that are like, you know, are striving to like meet these goals. I mean, some of them are way out ahead, you know, that they're, they're like, um, not only are they are, are they decarbonizing their operations, but they're, you know, they're decarbonizing what they did in the past. Um, you know, so that, you know, I, I, some, I, I won't, without naming names that like some have like publicly stated that, that that's their goal. Others have goals or like um, that are around facilitating the renewable sector to, to make it easier for high levels of penetration where they are, they are managing their, load somewhat to correspond to their purchase of wind and solar to match the generating of like diurnal patterns that 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 they're that they're buying from it is difficult to do you can get pretty close to like buy renewable energy to to be able to certify that you're buying renewable energy 24 7 um, because you know if you buy a gigawatt of wind and solar, there, there, there's just, there's going to be times when the wind and the solar are not producing when you're generating. So you have to, you know, manage through storage or other, or buying from other RTOs. But there are, you know, there's big companies that are getting their heads into that part of it. And it really is eye-opening to, to you know, to, to look at the challenges for doing that. Um, and there's definitely a role for, um, you know, for regulated utilities to insert themselves into that part of the, that, like, you know, particular, you know, value driver of, of people wanting to be able to, like, you know, point to the assets that are generating 24-7. You're right. There's a lot to be done to, to like, to, to standardize. And I think, you know, I think we're still, we still have a ways to go. Hydrogen and battery storage is a big buzzwords now. 
And as they talk about hydrogen, I hear people saying it really won't be up and running until 2025 to 2030. Do you have a real number? I mean, what is, what is the timing of the hydrogen play that America wants to go through right now? Is it really only three years away or is it really seven years away? Uh, I mean, I, I, I would say it's two or three years away. I mean, it, it is it is a matter, you know, there's there's certain types of, of customers whose, it, it, whose sensitivity to their end product um, is small, despite the fact that the price for green, let's say green ammonia, for instance. So green ammonia, you know, maybe is two or three times more expensive than ammonia produced by, you know, traditional, um, you know, methods, you know, with natural gas. Um, but if you're, uh, you know, a maritime, um, you know, a shipper, um, the way that first, uh, many of the shipping companies have like global mandates to convert, you know, their like from bunker fuel to some like green fuels, whether it's ammonia or green methanol or hydrogen um, in, in the short term. So we were working right now on figuring out the best solutions for that. But, you know, hopefully if all, if, if industry is moving towards the same solution, at the end of the day, a, a customer of, of delivered steel container would not see a large change in the cost to, to, to like perform the services that the maritime shippers do. Granted, the, 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 like right now, we're still years away, um, you know, tw maybe tw 20, 30, as you say, uh, Mike, from, from like getting to closer to like kind of parity between, you know, the various ways of producing green ammonia or green hydrogen, but, um, a lot of these end users, um, they're able to convert without seriously impacting how, uh, you know, what they, they charge for their, their ultimate service. So I, I think that's a reason that it's going to happen sooner than, than you suggest. You know, a reason that it's not going to happen sooner is because of what I said, because the, the cost is still there. The cost is the electrolyzers are kind of on a trajectory similar to what you know, solar and battery, you know, battery, utility batteries are. So those, those costs are coming down. Um, wind and solar are, are pretty low, but like have ability to come down. And there's some big projects that we're working on, but I think the customers are there very shortly and the, the they have the ability to use the product and, and there's industry-wide industry pressure in a number of sectors for them to do so. One of the issues with the renewable industry is that transactionally things take a long time, longer than they should. Have you guys experienced that? And on top of that, if you have or if you haven't, what are some ways that uh, you see or that you've experienced that could help, you know, expedite uh, this potentially, you know, transactionally slow things that are happening across for some developers? One of the biggest delays that we're seeing out um, in, in both utility wind and solar is at an R RTO ISO level with the interconnection queue. So there's like, you know, you know, you know, some are worse than others, but um, there are huge delays in, in most, most of the RTOs for getting through 
um, the interconnection queue. And there, there, we need upgrades to transmission systems, and that's delaying projects. So we'll have a PGM is particularly acute right now. We'll have a project that you know goes into the queue, and it's just like most of our projects are just getting delayed um, in in PJM and in other other uh, RTOs and ISOs. Uh, so that's like that. That is slowing down transactions, availability of capital. Um, you know, the wind and, and solar have a traditional, you know, finance project finance model with um, tax equity, and you know we need to you know triple or quadruple the amount of projects that we're building, and that's not possible with like on a traditional third party tax equity model. So we need to open up more capital, traditional energy finance, and what is in front of Congress right now and potentially in this uh, infrastructure bill is what we call direct pay. So that would be instead projects would would qualify for the tax credits themselves as they as they do today, but then they would have the ability to just directly you know, take advantage of the credits versus like a third party investor. So that's, I think that would help to accelerate more projects and help achieve goals that the, that the Biden administration is looking to do. You know, it is, um, there are certain regions that are diff very difficult from a permitting standpoint. Um, you know, traditionally, it's 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 been very tough to develop wind and solar on BLM land. We've like had some high class failures on BLM lands, and it's just you know it's very easy for opponents to figure out ways to to delay projects. So I think that there's a lot of streamlining that can be done to help projects get you know permitted and and built quicker. You're going out in a project and you're going to be putting an RFP out for a, uh, to sell a PPA on it or a VPPA on a project. You wait till you have those permits in hand before you sell your projects. We like to, you know, when we're, we're bidding, you know, certain like RFPs like, you know, require, you know, have thresholds for bidders to come in. They have to be a certain distance through the, you know, they have to have their system impact study in the interconnection queue and they, uh, some might want you to already have your permits in hand, but many frequently we we are like we have a, a good view on where the permits are and our likelihood of getting them. Um, in many cases, the RFPs um, that are uh, well suited for certain projects, you know, we have to bid into them before we have certain permits um, that we have. So we're, we're we're frequently bidding before we have like every permit that we need. And then sometimes, you know, you know, some of the buyers, whether it's a utility buyer or a corporate buyer, they're they're pretty sophisticated and they can see in regions that they're interested in, like certain projects that are in a, in the queue and like you know people, the developers that they like, they'll come to us and say, we want to buy project from power from that project. And we're like, we're not ready. You know, it's not, it doesn't have its permit yet. It's like, well, we need uh, power in that region. And we'll try to like, you know, go into a partnership with those types of buyers and say, Hey guys, you know, you need to be flexible with us because this is sooner then we feel comfortable bidding into RFP. So we have that, that happens more and more in certain regions because it's just, 
in my view, there's a shortage of good projects in particular regions right now. What's the biggest misnomer about renewables as they become more front and center during this energy transition? I think one of the issues that uh, people think is like an impediment to higher penetration is is the notion, I talked a little bit about it earlier, is that, you know, we, that renewables, because, you know, solar's only during the day and, and the wind's not always blowing, is somehow unreliable. Um, you know, there are, you know, parts of the country who's the, where the grid is as reliable as it's been with much higher penetration renewables than there were 10 and 20 years ago. And so it's not, you know, the volatility of demand in a certain region is is generally higher than the volatility of the wind and solar that's coming into it. So it's something that is just is 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 well managed by large, um, um, you know, power pools, load serving entities. So we are clean energy sources of clean energy, and as uh, as we get higher and higher penetration and like w w we can get to like very high penetration without the Herculean transmission and, you know, high tech demand response uh, solution that, you know, we will need down the road. So we can get to very high penetrations today with wind and solar. Um, so it, 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 I think it is a misperception that, that, that laymen have about, uh, about renewables is that, you know, for some reason that they're, they make the, the grid less reliable than uh, coal or natural gas or nuclear. And that's not the case. Um, and so, you know, people need to understand that grid operators are managing, you know, not just variations from, from wind and solar, but variations from coal and gas and variations in demand. And that's what they, that's what they do for a living. And so it, it's something that, um, is working well, um, even as the the penetration is getting higher and higher. Year 12 of Apex, and what better way to celebrate year 12 than with a nice, shiny, sustainably built building, a.k.a. Apex Plaza. I know you and your, uh, your, you and your team checked it out this week. Tell us a little bit about the, uh, the, the, the brand-new headquarters. Uh, I appreciate that question. So we, you know, when we started the company, we were scrappy, uh, like, you know, small group of people would never thought that like uh, a building was something that we would be like, um, you know, looking to do for just ourselves. Uh, but as we grew the company, we were right now we're in, um, you know, a s relatively small town, Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, we are in three separate office buildings and for going on six or seven years, we've wanted to get everyone under one roof. Um, but as we thought about that, you know, sustainability is one of our core values. We wanted to do so in a way that showed leadership that like, you know, people look to us because we're, you know, we're a clean energy company. Um, so we need to do things in a way that shows leadership for sustainability. So we were able to um, engage with Bill McDonough and partners. He's a world renowned architect. Um, who has been leading in sustainability, um, in how to make buildings that like are, you know, are sustainable, not only from like an energy usage, but from the materials that go into it. 
So his design for what we call Apex Plaza is an eight-story building that's uh, made of um, what they call a CLT or composite laminated timbers. So it will be the largest um, timber high-rise on the East Coast. And the thing that's you know exciting and is super sustainable about this is that you not, we're using wood, which is a sustainable material, but we're actually sequestering that carbon that goes into the wood. And the company that we're buying the laminated timbers from, they like for every you know harvest that they do and turn it into their, they have one business that's CLT timbers, they're replanting. So it is highly, highly sustainable. The building will also have like other cutting edge, you know, sustainability fe features that like we'll be able to open the windows in, in the building, we'll have uh, EV charging stations, the apex offices will be net zero, we'll have, uh, you know, battery storage um, installed in the, in, in the building. Um, so it, it's going to literally, literally be a, a state of the art, you know, showcase, um, exciting place for people to come to work every day. So. It's something that is thrilling and we're very close. Um, we'll be moving in end of this year. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Mark Goodwood. You can catch all of the Green Insider episodes over at Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, eRenew.net, or wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, don't miss next week when Mr. Mike Neemer and I will sit down and give you the top six episodes we've had over the last year as well as giving you a little insight of what's to come. This is the Green Insider Podcast powered by eRenewable. We make going green easier.